You can take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34 if you haven't already. Well, Psalm 34, if you're paying attention and if you think it sounds familiar or you were here last Sunday and you remember we were in Psalm 34 last Sunday and the Lord just kept working in my heart out of this psalm and I wanted to come back to it today. Last week we looked at the the first three verses and I gave you this thought on thanking God at all times about all things and with all people. And so it was much, very much about thanksgiving. And today I want to drop down to verse number 8, where the psalmist David says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That first half of the verse, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you read it out loud with me? Just that first half of verse number 8. Let's read it together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, would you help us today as we look into this passage of Scripture and again look at some of the background of the 34th Psalm. Uh, Father, um, get some understanding of what was going on in David's life at this time that, that caused him to challenge us, to invite us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts today, that you would challenge us, that you'd convict us. Lord, that I, I pray, it's been my prayer, that our opinion of God would be higher when we leave here today than when it was when we came in. We would appreciate much more about God and what he's done for us. And Lord, that we would change our lives where it needs to be changed today. We pray for convicting power today that can only come through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number 8 is an invitation. David is inviting his readers to join him in what he has discovered, that the Lord is good. To help us with that thought, I want to remind you again of the setting of this psalm. Uh, look at our superscription. We looked at it again last week. Those, those words right underneath Psalm 34 before we get to verse number 1. It says, A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Uh, again, this is a, in relation or in, uh, in an aftermath of David who had to stand before King Abimelech the king of the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. He's standing before them. And in that passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it's from verses 10 through 15, David pretends. He acts like he's crazy. He, he feigns himself to be crazy. He pretends to be crazy. Uh, he who duels some things, he'll, he'll uh, uh, change his appearance, he'll, he'll look crazy-eyed, he'll have drool go down his cheek into his beard. They're just trying to look foolish and crazy before this king to try to deliver himself. Now, a lot's been going on in David's life. If we go back to chapter number 16 of 1 Samuel, that's where David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He's the king in waiting now, because there is a king in place, if you recall. His name is King Saul. And Saul was the choice of the, Israel, of the people of Israel. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 8, they, they choose themselves a king. They desire a king and they choose Saul because he stood head and shoulders above every other man. He looked the part of a king. So they anoint him. And I do believe it was God's will for the nation of Israel to have a king. I believe that was part of God's plan for them. I just don't believe it was God's timing. I don't believe Saul was God's choice. But he allows them to get what they wanted. And it's not long before Saul does enough things wrong where he rejects God, he disobeys God, and God rejects him as king. Well, in chapter 16, David even becomes a servant of King Saul for a short time. Chapter 17 is the great passage of Scripture where David defeats the enemy of, uh, of Israel, the, the Philistine's giant named Goliath. And then chapter number 18, we see the popularity of David is growing by leaps and bounds. Even within the family of Saul, uh, Jonathan becomes best friends with David. They become like brothers. Uh, they, uh, excuse me, Saul's daughter, Michal, falls in love with David, and, and they're married. Uh, David's popularity is growing in the kingdom. There's a passage of Scripture where the, there's a quoting of a song where David, or excuse me, Saul has killed his thousands, and David hath killed his tens of thousands. All these things are happening. David's popularity is growing, and the jealousy of Saul is growing. Saul doesn't like this. And so now Saul wants David gone. And Saul wants David killed. And so David is on the run from King Saul. He is out hiding from town to town, going from one place, trying to stay two or three steps in front of Saul. And that, that's where we're led there in 1 Samuel 21. David, in his trying to escape, ends up in front of this king of the Philistines. Now many Bible students and Bible readers have questioned how David handled himself in front of the king of the Philistines. Was he really trusting in the Lord when he pretended and when he acted the way that he did? Was this a, the way God wanted him to behave? Is this what God would have led him to have done? Or was this what David chose to do? And if it is what David chose to do, how could David then write Psalm 34 and, um, and, and give all praise to God? Now, I want to remind you about the Bible. All of it is true. Now, there are passages in the Bible that contain the sins and failures of man. Uh, there are passages where we see people lying, people cheating, where people murder individuals. There are accounts of people not trusting God. Doesn't mean the Bible is wrong. Doesn't mean those passages are wrong. It's just displaying and giving us the truth. And it is perhaps likely that what David does in 1 Samuel 21 truly is not an act of trusting God. By the way, have you ever done something... You did it in a fashion that you know that it wasn't God's will, and God was still merciful to you. God still allowed or blessed or helped you. It happens. It's happened in my life. I think back uh, to when Moses, uh, remember when he, when he struck a rock and water came out? You remember that account there? I think it's in Exodus chapter 17. And then later on in the book of Numbers, he was supposed to speak to a rock. You remember that? And water was going to come out. 
You know what David did? He hit the rock again in numbers. He disobeyed God. In fact, he hit it twice because it didn't happen on the first time. And you know what happened? Water came out. He didn't obey God, but God was merciful. Now, God doesn't always work that way, but God can work that way. And God's all right to work that way because God can do what he wants to do. And so we see this passage of scripture where David feigns himself to be crazy. He's trying to escape and God allows it to happen. Now, again, the question is, why would God let this happen? Why would God bless this man that did not trust him? And then why does David write a psalm here where he's trust, uh, displaying his trust? Well, let me show you another passage. There are many psalms that are written during this time of David's life from, the end of, uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way through the end of 1 Samuel when he's on the run from, da- uh, from King Saul. Lots of psalms, but look at one with me. Hold your place in Psalm 34, but go to Psalm 56. If you look at the superscription of Psalm 56, it's to the chief musician upon Jonath Elamah Rachokim. Wow. Mitchtam of David, when the Philistines took him in Gath. And so it's in a same timeline when the Philistines took him in Gath, when he stood before them. David says this, and after the fact now, be merciful unto me, O God. For man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. Do you remember what I just talked about? Saul's after him. He's got the armies of Israel after him. He's got the Philistines after him. David has enemies everywhere that are trying to destroy him, trying to swallow him. And David mentions that here in Psalm 56. There's enemies all around me. But then notice what he says in verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. A lot of our lessons come after the fact, don't they? A lot of our realizations come after the fact. And it could be that this timeline went something like this. David goes through all those events we looked at in 1 Samuel chapter number 16 through 21. In chapter 22, David escapes to a cave, it says. And David now is in reflection, and he writes Psalm 56. I shouldn't have done that. You know what? When I'm afraid, when things are bad, I have to trust in the Lord. That's when I have to really put my trust in the Lord. And then he writes Psalm 34. Remember, the Psalms are not written in a chronological, or not presented to us in a chronological order. The psalmist, uh, the people that aligned it, put them in different places with different themes. And David wrote Psalm 56, and then he comes back with Psalm 34, recognizing this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In In recollection of all of his, even his failures, even when he did not respond properly, even when he did not put his faith in the Lord, and the Lord was still good to him. The Lord was blessed. And David says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It's one of my favorite verses to read to somebody that's maybe getting ready to go into surgery. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. 
I had a Bible college professor. And while he was our professor, he had a little daughter at that time that was going into surgery. She had a, a twisted intestine. And they had to go in and they had to adjust that and fix that. And she was five or six years old. And as they were walking down that hallway that morning, or she was on the bed and he's walking down the hallway, she looked up at him and she had tears in her eyes. She says, Daddy, I'm afraid. He goes, I, she goes, I know we've prayed and I know we've talked about God's going to help me, but I can't help it right now. I'm afraid. And he said, I'm going to show you a verse, Joy. And he took her to Psalm 56. And he made a little song for her right there, right before she went into surgery. I wish I could sing it for you. He said something like this. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He said she went into surgery humming that song. And she came out of surgery humming that song. And God gave her peace, even to a little five-year-old girl getting ready to go into a surgery. And I've shared that thought and that verse with many people through the years, getting ready to go into a difficult time. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now again, David has brought all these things. He's written Psalm 56. In fact, I mentioned here one author suggested that the order of the events, David's on the run from King Saul, finds himself before the king of the Philistines. He feigns himself to be crazy. and He's delivered. He escapes into the wilderness in a cave. And then David begins to contemplate and think about what has just happened and his need to rely upon the Lord. And David further considers what he writes there in Psalm 34. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible is truth, but it contains the worst of man. Can you imagine if someone has been following you around all your life and recording everything that you've done, good and bad? My 52 years, I don't, there'd be a lot of embarrassing moments that I wouldn't want published or put out on display for others to read about my sins, about my failures, about the times when I did not trust in God. But I can tell you this after 52 years as well. I have found this to be true. God's been good to me. I found this to be true. God is good. As the choir sing this morning, he is only always good. And as Kevin reminded us with this special, God's been good to us. And I believe it's for this reason that David invites his readers, while he's sitting in a cave most likely, on the run from his enemies, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's saying, try him out. Discover what I have found out to be true. God is good. What a great analogy he uses as well. Taste. Uh, try this. He uses this picture of tasting. Food is such a good illustration of things, isn't it? We remember stuff about food. I can sure most of you could tell me exactly what you ate on, uh, on Thursday. It, it, it's, it's, it's seared into your mind. 
couple of years ago, I shared on a Sunday night here an illustration about McDonald's French fries. To this day, I still get texts from some of you saying, I had a bonus fry in my bag this morning or this afternoon. And, and people remember these, these illustrations about food. And so David appeals to this thing that we're, that we're, that we're uh, drawn to about food, taste and see. Now, isn't it true that when we taste something for the first time, we don't typically just go all in? What do we do a little bit? We, we, we touch it to our tongue. Do we like it? Is it going to be too sour, too sweet? Is it going to be something? We rarely just jump in and bite it, right? Several years ago, it's got to be 10, 12 years ago, we were uh, visiting. My brother and his family was visiting with us, and, and it was on a Sunday night, and they were going to drive home about an hour and a half or so away from us after church, and we're going to go out to dinner afterwards. And we ended up at a place called Buffalo, or not, excuse me, not Buffalo, but uh, Quaker Steak and Lube. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? And one thing they're known for are their hot wings. And so you got adults sitting down here at this end of the table, and we've got a bunch of kids lined up down there, my children and their children. And, and uh, the waitress is starting to take orders down there with the kids. And uh, my nephew, who's about 11 years old, says, I want the triple atomic hot wings. The hottest wing on their level there. And she's like, well, I can't order those for you. You have to have permission from your dad. And so he walks down there with the menu to my brother, his father. And he says, Dad, I want to. And my brother's talking to me. He's like, yeah, get whatever you want. I don't care. He's like, I want to get these. He goes, yeah, yeah, get whatever you want. And I looked at my brother. I said, David, those, I said, those are super hot. Like, they're the hottest they got. He goes, yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be good, you know. And. I was like, no, I, I, I'm pretty sure these are like professional level eaters only eat these. He's like, yeah, it'll be fine. So we smell them when they come out. You know, I mean, we can see the fire on them and, 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 and we're watching. Nobody's eating their food. We're just watching my nephew. And he grabs a drumstick and he just, he doesn't touch it on his tongue. He just takes a full bite right into this thing. And I have never seen this happen like this before. As soon as he took that bite, his face immediately went pale. I mean, it was white as a ghost, just immediately lost all color in his body. And he, his eyes got wide, and he's holding on to that. And his hand started shaking while it was in his mouth. I'm not exaggerating. It was, it was amazing. And we're all dying laughing at this point. It kind of falls out of his hand to the side, and he's, he's woozy in his chair, and he grabs a cup of water, and he missed his face by six inches. He pours it all. He has no control of his functions at all at this point. It was amazing. The, the waitress said, she goes, I'll go get some milk. She stayed to watch, too, and, and, and she goes, I'll go get milk. And she comes back with this milk, and he just got his lips in it. He's just holding it there in his mouth. And we're, we're, we're laughing, and we're trying to compose ourselves. And I'm like, I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, they weren't that hot, you know. And, uh, but he went all in. I want to tell you today, when you taste of the Lord, I want you, you can go all in. You got a bunch of people in here today. Would you agree with me that you can trust the Lord? He's good. Take a big bite. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Can I just give you three thoughts to take home with you today? Three brief and quick thoughts here this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good for your salvation. For salvation. I'm 52 years old, which means just a a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated my 46th spiritual birthday. I got saved October 29th, 1976, a week before my sixth birthday. I went to my dad. I was in his office. My dad's a pastor, for those that may not know, or pastored for many years. He's a retired pastor now. I was in my dad's office playing with some cars on the corner of this little squared office there. I was over in the corner. He was over at his desk. And I told my dad that the next Sunday I was going to walk down the aisle and I wanted him to let somebody come down there because I was ready to get saved. I had been watching. It seemed like when ladies dealt with people at the altar... Those are the ones that were getting saved. So I said, I want a lady altar worker this time, Dad. I want to get saved. And he goes, Mark, it's not about the altar worker. It's about what they're sharing. And I said, well, I'm ready to see what they're sharing because I wanted to be saved. And I remember my dad crawling down there. And I remember him pulling a, a New Testament out of his pocket. And I remember getting on his hands and his knees right down there on the floor with me and walking me through the, the Bible took me to 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, which tells us that you can know that you have everlasting life. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to think. You don't have to cross your fingers. You can know. And then he took me to the book of Romans, and he showed me that I was a sinner, that there was a penalty for my sin, and because of that penalty, I deserve death and hell. And then he took me to... Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of me being a sinner, God loved me so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for me, to be buried and to rise again. He took me to Romans chapter 10 and explained to me about repentance and about faith, and that if I would call on the Lord in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus He would save me. And on that day, October 29th, 1976, I called on the Lord to save me. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come and be a part of my life, to be my Savior. And for the last 46 years, He's never failed me once. He's kept me. He's preserved me. He saved me even though though He knew I would fail Him. In the future, after I was saved, he knew that I would do things that were wrong. He knew that I would be uh, do sinful things, and yet he still saved me, and he kept me. And I wonder today: Have you trusted in the Lord for your salvation? Have you tasted to see the Lord and and to and to to claim Him as your Savior? If you're here today. I appreciate Brother Eddie praying this morning before our offering, and he talked about that, that nudge that the Holy Spirit brings, that convicting power that the Holy Spirit brings. And as I talk about salvation at this very moment, perhaps you feel in your heart a little tug. You feel a little drawing of the Lord. You feel the, the Holy Spirit working in your heart. That's him saying, I love you. 
That's him saying, I want you to be mine. Several years ago, I was, uh, when I was pastoring in Columbus, Ohio, we had a young couple that was coming to our church. They drove an hour each way because somebody had invited them. And they would come and drive about an hour each Sunday morning. And they'd often come late, get in a little late after the service had started, and they'd sit back in the back corner, and they'd get out right away. One Sunday, I caught them before they got out, and I said, hey, we're having some lunch here on today with some missionaries that are here. We're going to have it right here. Stay and have lunch with me so I can get to know you. And they agreed. And so they sat down and ate late lunch with us, and I came over, started talking to them after lunch, and started asking about their background and various things, and they began to tell me different things. And, and uh, I, I, I was talking to them, and I said, listen, I want to talk to you about the Lord. And I started sharing the gospel with them. I said, do you guys ever feel like, have you ever been in church where you feel that convicting power? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, you feel like something's drawing you to the Lord? And they said, every Sunday we feel that way. I said, that's God telling me he loves you. I said, what are you waiting for? And they're like, I don't know. Sometimes we leave and we say, we're never coming back. And then we show back up the next Sunday. I said, the Lord loves you and he wants you. And I imagine there's some people that are sitting in this service. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're feeling it right now. And I cry out to you today, would you, would you taste and see that the Lord is good? That he'll provide that salvation that, he, that, that you need and, and that, that God wants you to have? Taste and see that the Lord is good for salvation. Would you also taste and see that the Lord is good for service? Service. I want to talk to Christians for just a moment. You would agree with me if you're saved here today and you truly understand salvation, God's been good to you far better than we deserve. Amen, church? He's done so much for us. If he never does another thing for us, he saved you. He's been good to us. And he asks you now that you would live for him, that you would serve him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christians, God wants you to serve Him. God's gifted you to serve Him. God will empower you to serve Him. But He needs someone that will surrender to this. Someone that will say, I will do what you want me to do, God. Now, I know what most of you think. If I do that, he's going to call me to some place in the world that I don't want to go and do something. No, he won't. He'll call you to exactly what you can and will want to do when you surrender to him. God works in your hearts. He works in our hearts and he calls us into those things that we'll desire to do. Whether it's singing in the choir helping in a junior church or a Sunday school class, cleaning our facilities, being a part of the bus ministry, whatever it might be. We've got dozens of areas where you can serve God here in, this, in church. And I want you to taste and see that it's good to serve God. It, 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 it is something that you'll find pleasure in, joy in, when you'll say, I'm going to serve God. Taste and see that the Lord is good for salvation, that he's good for service. 
And then finally, taste and see that the Lord is good during struggles. During the struggles of life. We live, as I mentioned last week, in in a world that there's ups and then they're followed by downs. Good times and then difficult times. And what we studied last week is God is good at all times, in the up times and in the down times. And oh, taste and see that the Lord is good during the struggles of life. We look back in our life and we go through some of these struggles and we wonder, how could I have ever made it except with the Lord with me? And oh, you can find him faithful in those struggles. Again, in a congregation this size this morning, there's somebody going through some great struggles right now. And you're trying to get yourself through it. You're trying to figure out a way. You're faking it. You're doing like David did. He said, i got to get out of this situation. Here I am in front of this king, and he faked it. And then he later on says, oh no, I need to just trust the Lord. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And in retrospect, he says, taste and see that the Lord is is good look at the rest of verse number eight blessed is the man that trusteth in him you can trust god today and so taste and see that the lord is good in salvation in service and in struggles would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning we have a time of decision a time of inspection, a time of looking within our own selves today, no one else but just you. And I'd ask you today, have you tasted to see that the Lord is good? Again, I'll start with those that are not saved today, that don't know Christ as your Savior. Oh, I challenge you today, if you feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart, don't leave this building today without getting that settled. That, that tug that you feel is not promised to always be there. It's the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And I'd encourage you, don't say no to that. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's working in your heart for salvation, we're going to invite you in just a moment to step out of your pew this morning. And we have some individuals that will be here at the front of the auditorium, here at the altar ready to help you, to direct you, to guide you, and even to show you from the Scriptures how you can be saved. We'd invite you to come today. Christian, are you doing all that God's called you to do? Did you feel that tug in your heart? Not about salvation, per se, but about serving Him. You know you're not doing what you should be doing or all that you could be doing. Would you you surrender to the Lord today? Say, God, you've been so good to me. Help me to be a faithful servant to you. Or perhaps you're going through some struggles right now, some difficulties, health, family, financial, whatever it may be, you can trust the Lord. He is good. Father, I pray that you take this invitation now. Lord, help us to be obedient to you today. I pray, God, those that you're working in their hearts would respond today, God. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand today as the piano begins to play? The altar's available for you. We won't delay this long, but if the Lord's speaking to your heart, won't you come today? Come to the altar and talk to the Lord or have someone share with you today. Let's be obedient to the Lord this morning. Have you tasted to see that the Lord is good in salvation? 
in service, enduring struggles.